0: Welcome to Views from the Pews. This is Father Justin joined by Father Jim Cook. And today we're going to do a deep dive into the Beatitudes found in Matthew and Luke and also hear a little message about peace in a time of of great anxiety, at least for the United States, the day after the general election. This is Wednesday, November 4th. Join us. Alrighty, today we're going to do a deep uh, dive into the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 10. Or really, actually, we can continue 1 through 12 to get a good sense of what's going on. I want to read this for us. I'm going to read from the NIV. Although I do think, and I just want to say this up front, Jim, and I think you and I were talking about this, that the, the message version has a really nice take on these beatitudes, but let me read this in, um, in Matthew chapter five and set the stage. So Jesus is, uh, climbed up a mountain and he's talking to a large group of folks and he leads off with this. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What's interesting to me, Jim, about this? This is the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's going to build. And Jesus is going to keep making these claims, these very bold claims, that I think really represent what it means to be a Christ follower or a disciple, and also a window into what the kingdom of God's about. Versus the kingdoms of the world in which we operate.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I wasn't always a fan of the Beatitudes, you know, because although they sound nice at first blush, uh, but if you really pay attention to what's being said, it sounds a little nuts. I mean, for example, some of the Beatitudes begin with things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted, and, and some of the newer translations re- replace "blessed" with "happy," of uh, thinking that's a better translation. But here's the thing: I don't care whether you use "blessed" or "happy," because to me, being described as someone who is poor in spirit, or being counted among those who are being persecuted, or those who mourn, sounds like the opposite of you know being either blessed or happy so now i, I focus there only really on the on the first half of each of the beatitudes the second half says has some reward but initially and I'm, I'm talking about how i used to feel it was like is 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 the payoff at some undisclosed time in the future really worth being persecuted or or mourning, or being poor in spirit here and now. And for a while there, I thought, no, it doesn't sound like a pretty even trade-off for me. I, I wasn't all that uh, thrilled about it, to be honest. So, I'll let you respond to that. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. I think I've
0: always had that struggle, especially if you if you put these side-by-side side with the ones in Luke. I've always been drawn to the ones in the Gospel of Luke, and I've always wondered if Matthew softened it for the hearers, Uh, for his, for his first listeners, uh, to this gospel story, to this account of Jesus' life. Because just take the first one, for example, in Luke, it's gonna, it's gonna start with, blessed are the poor, period. Yeah. Not the poor in spirit. In this day and age, I feel like poor in spirit is a lot more palatable. It doesn't make us embrace the reality that there is poverty in and around us and has been this is not a new uh, invention in 2020. It's been with us uh, for a long time, and a lot of the poverty is actually at the hands of us, either by our inaction or action. So I've always, probably similar to you, I've always struggled with Matthew's Beatitudes because I felt like they are a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's entirely true. Because actually, if you watch Matthew's Beatitudes build, he's reversing a lot of things we expect. And maybe that's part of what Christianity is meant to do. Things that we assume are terrible are maybe not so bad in light of what Jesus is doing in and around us and for us. You know, and one of the things that I, one of the Beatitudes that I appreciate, especially now more than ever, is blessed are the peacemakers. Or as the message says, and I think the message does a... Um, a really good job of capturing this. This is verse nine. You are blessed. This is from the message. You are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. That one beatitude. And they've kind of all built that way. It's moving us beyond us, blessed are the poor in spirit. And poor in spirit doesn't mean impoverished. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's just saying, look, you can't enter into into a relationship with God if you think you have all the answers and you have it all figured out, that this relationship's a one-way street. That, And I, I kind of go back to morning prayer for a minute. Just, this is crazy connection, Jim, and you can tell me what you think about this. <laughs> but there's two things that happen really early if you read the Daily Office or read morning prayer out of the 1979 Book of Common Prayer. We start with a confession. hmm which is the very first thing to kind of adjust and, uh, and acknowledge where our relationship, relationship is with God. Not to see our sins as a negative, but to acknowledge that they exist, and we've made decisions and choices and reorient ourselves back to God. Mm-hmm. And then we make this little statement, Lord, open our lips so that our mouth shall show forth your praise. And it's not that we open our lips by ourselves. And I think that's what these, I think it's what Jesus is getting at to in these Beatitudes that we do this in a partnership with God, the one who created us, the one who walks with us. So to be poor in spirit, it's not to be weak or to be uh, left out. It's to acknowledge that we need God. We need to, we can't have it all figured out. And they kind of build from there. It talks about humility next. Mm -hmm. Then it kind of builds into actionable things. Be the peacemakers. You're probably going to be persecuted because of what we're talking about. Now, nobody's going to agree with what the kingdom of God says power's all about. So they kind of, first Jesus starts with the individual. You've got to let some things go so that you can see others and that you can really have a proper relationship with God and with the kingdom. And then because of that proper relationship, now you have some things you're called to do and peacemaking being a big part of it. So all that is for me to say is I don't think I did think for the longest time these Beatitudes were crazy and I always would default to Luke uh, and Luke's woes. I mean, that's the other thing. In Luke, you have the blessed and then you have the woe, woe to you and woe to this. Um, but I actually think Matthew and Luke together give us a snapshot of what maybe is important for God and for us to consider if we're going to say we're going to follow Jesus,
1: I think. I think so, yeah. And I'll, I'll throw you a curveball here real quick. Throw me a curveball. Throw you a curveball. Okay, so one, uh, I did some reading on this, and one scholar seemed to be of the opinion that the author of Matthew's gospel, the one who arranged the Beatitudes, for example, uh, used Psalm 1, verse 1 as sort of a template for the Beatitudes. And if you recall, Psalm 1, verse 1 reads, Blessed is the one who walks not in the way of the wicked, but in the way of the Lord. And then that, that scholar went on to say that the Hebrew word translated blessed literally means to find the right road. You're on the right road, which would mean that Psalm one says, but would, would translate like you are on the right road when you walk not in the way of the unrighteous, but in the way of the Lord. So if you, and, and if you take that template thing uh, seriously, maybe blessed is not a good english translation maybe uh if perhaps um instead of blessed or happy you say you're on the right road so instead of uh blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the, is the kingdom of heaven maybe what what the author of matthew really wanted to say is you're on the right road even if you are poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is yours and i like that a lot i, I like that notion because it doesn't say you know you, you have to be happy or blessed yes you have Okay, so now um, thinking. Of, oh, thinking about uh, who was Matthew? Who was Jesus talking to? Who was who was the audience of Matthew's gospel? It was the people, and he lives in a culture that celebrates wealth, a celebrated power, a celebrated position, uh, uh, and so the people he's talking to have none of those things. They have. They enjoy none of that power or wealth or position. And so he's saying to them, and because of that, also in that culture, it was, it was thought to be that if you were wealthy or had power or you had position, God was blessing you. And if you didn't have any of those things, it was because God was ignoring you or, or, or cursing you. And so Jesus is saying to these who are poor in spirit, these who are being persecuted, these, that you're not, God hasn't forgotten you. In fact... I'm here to tell you that you're on the right road because God does care about you. And just the fact that you're poor doesn't mean that you've been ignored by God. You're still on the right road. Hang in there. And I find that incredibly encouraging sometimes.
0: And I totally, that's not a curveball for me. That's a great connection to Psalm one. I have not thought about that before, the formula. But that doesn't surprise us because many scholars agree that Matthew's gospel is uh, very Jewish in its orientation yes. uh, by way of saying, uh, just for comparison's sake, a lot of scholars see Luke's gospel as Greco-Roman. Um So you have these, as you study, it, it, it depends on how far you want to dive into studying scripture. I mean, and that's not, not everybody wants to do that. Some people, you know, and there's nothing wrong with this, right? There's layers of biblical interpretation. Some want to just look at the surface text and li- live there. Uh-huh. And not worry about composition and how it was forged and what, how the oral tradition and or written tradition made its way into a bound book. And then there's, you go all the way down to what we would probably call a lot of biblical scholars today who are doing deep dives into manuscripts that we have fragments of manuscripts and things like that. So no matter where you stand, Um, there's a lot in this and going back to this word, right. And this is where I was going to go, uh, in just a minute. And you just gave me that springboard, which is part of a big chunk of what the old Testament is about. Some of what we talked about in Leviticus without saying this word in our last week's in last week's podcast, that God cares a lot about justice and righteousness. Mm -hmm. And in our modern context, we've separated the two. Justice has carried a negative weight with some people. Um, and righteousness is something that most people can get behind, and we understand righteousness is right living. What's interesting about Scripture, granted those two words are not in this text, but it alludes to the fact of what you just said. The Beatitudes point us to what right living would look like, and right living and oftentimes righteousness and justice, those Greek words are usually almost the same in most times when they're translated. And I think there's a reason for that because you can't have righteousness without justice and you can't have justice without righteousness. Justice is righteousness lived out. What justice is not is me taking Justin Yon's opinions about whatever's going on and saying, I think these things need to happen. That's not justice. At least not biblical justice as I understand it. Justice is the invitation by God to take the love God has for us and bear it out onto the world in complex situations uh, and saying, okay, what's the most loving thing that we can encourage people to do here? And that is why, to your point, that I think it was important for Jesus, for his apostles more than anybody on this mountain to hear these words, because he knew, this is the beauty of God, he knew that to follow Jesus, to take up your cross and follow him Was not going to be like walking through a field of flowers and lilies. It was going to be wrought with persecution. It was going to be wrought with feeling uh, down and out, being beaten, being dragged through the mud, people not believing you, people wanting to kill you. I mean, it goes on and on. But that's the, that's, that's kind of the great sacred mystery of what God's doing in the incarnation. God chose to come amongst, amidst all of that craziness that is us. And do something spectacular. And the Beatitudes are a window into, if we can imagine what it's like to follow God, if we can become a little more humble, we can live that out, knowing that not everybody's going to agree with us, we'll find release and life by finding the right way of living and then bearing that out on the world into what we would call justice, Uh, living our faith out, living our love out into the world, not just compartmentalizing it and looking out on the world. And this was true all throughout history. We can find think You and I could sit here and go on and on about the church councils in the first few centuries and their struggle with trying to find out, find a way to live their faith out into the world and affect the poor and affect those who were marginalized and affect those who were being persecuted. So this is not justice is something humans have struggled with even really before Jesus. Obviously, it was a big issue in the Old Testament. God was very concerned with how the Israelites cared for the foreigner, which we talked about last mm-hmm, week, mm-hmm. how they cared for one another, how they treated one another in each transaction. And most of that we don't actually see reflected today and haven't seen reflected in hundreds of years, if not thousands mm-hmm. of years. Um, so, but it doesn't mean it's not important to God. And there's these windows that Jesus uses and uh, the Sermon on the Mount's a big one. And he's going to transition from the Beatitudes to salt and light and talk mm-hmm. about, how your light can shine out into the world and how salt has lost its taste. He's going to go on about those by way of, I think, furthering the fact that we're called into righteous living and we're called to live that right way out into the world, which is justice. And the Beatitudes are very concerned with how we live our faith out and what the kingdom of God looks like. Uh, It's not something we just do one day a week or two days a week or three days a week we find in our own way and corporately ways to share the good news uh, that God is with us and that God loves us and that God encourages us and guides us out into the world. you got a thought I can tell.
1: Well, I was just thinking about the fact that uh, the people that Jesus was talking to included his disciples. I mean, these are not the elite, with the exception of maybe Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, They're all poor. They're all working class. They're all humble uh, getting by, you know, scratching the dirt to make a living. They're, they're, he's talking to them as well. The people who follow him closest, and and um, and so they're the they're the ones who have heard those things said about them. That you know, obviously God has abandoned you. God does not love you. You're, cause you because otherwise you'd be like me. You know, you'd be better off. And this one scholar, I'll just pull this one thing out and I'll, I'll be done. But he says he, he sort of summarizes. the the Beatitudes with these words, uh, Jesus is saying essentially, even though you've been told the exact opposite, I'm here to tell you that even though you feel helpless or hopeless, and even though you mourn or are being persecuted, you're on the right road, because you are on God's road, and God has a special place in his heart for people just like you. And so uh, I think that reminds me sometimes that any hardship I may have experienced in the past is not a reflection of my, my walk with God. It's, it's a reflection of just life is hard and life is difficult and, and we need to come to grips with that notion. And, but, but through that, God walks with us and, and God sometimes carries us. And, and so we can be encouraged even though maybe we fall into hard times Because we know that God is, we're on God's road, and God walks with us. And I I find that uh, very, very encouraging. Uh, I need to be
0: reminded of that sometimes. And I want to end on this. We'll have a brief conversation about one thing you said that I think is really awesome. That I get that you've probably been asked a lot in your 30 years of ministry. I've been asked at different moments, "How do I know I'm walking God's road?" And here's the interesting. Here's the way I answer that question. I'm curious how you answer that question. I always look at the person and I say. If a lot of my decisions are driven out of fear or selfishness or um, lack of respect for another human being, no matter if I agree with him or not, that's not the point, or not born out of love, then I'm probably not walking the path that God walked. And I base that off the fact that Jesus, to your point just a minute ago, he didn't pick the elite to come follow him. Mm -hmm. He constantly went and hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors and all those who were considered unclean or filthy. And he never gave up on them. And in a lot of cases, we don't actually know if they converted in a lot of instances of Jesus engaging with them. All we know is what Jesus did and how he modeled it. And then I can fast forward and think about the saints uh, who went out and uh, throughout the history of the church have gone out and built bridges. And I am certain that those saints didn't always agree with the communities in which they built bridges, but they saw people as human beings. I always say, I think we're on God's road when we see others as fellow children of God and human beings. If if love is our driving principle and we've conquered fear and uh, we're not letting that drive our decision making, then I think we're at least headed, if not on the road, we're darn close to the road, moving in the right direction. Uh, and the last thing I always say to folks is, am I being judgmental? And I always say we have to be careful if we're going to be judgmental. And I always use this image from the shack, Jim. And I don't know if you've read the Shack, but where he, uh, where the father sits in the in the courtroom, and he and he comes to the realization that the judge is himself judging him, mm-hmm. and the point being, and I think the Shack actually in the early church captures this notion, uh, builds on the the statement where Jesus says, "Why are you worried about the the speck in that person's eye when you've got a plank coming out of your own eye?" Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the point in that is, and the early church talks about this. And the shack covers so well is if we're not careful, we fall off God's road when we start being so interested in what everybody else is doing that we forget what we're doing for or not for the kingdom of God. So I think you have to kind of balance all those things when you're thinking about whether or not you're on God's road or living a righteous, just life. Uh, it's, it's, are you, are you doing some basic things that Jesus asked us to consider? What, how would you, what, what
1: are you thinking? Well, I, I, I agree with you, absolutely. The, the notion that if you're being motivated by fear, you're not on the right road. If you're, if you're doing something because you care about someone, you're, you're loving your neighbor, I, I harp on this all the time, that you're probably going to be on the right road. That um, fear is a lousy motivator, and fear also is a lousy reason to follow God. Because if you let fear go long enough, it becomes anger. Fear manifests, eventually will manifest as anger and then eventually manifest as hatred. So fearing God uh, uh, is a lousy reason to, to to do whatever you want to do. Uh, but loving God is a much more powerful uh, motivator to respond out of love rather than out of fear. I think is going to be a respond out of love is, is, is going to ensure a more positive and godly outcome
0: so well there you go folks that was a little bit of a deep dive into the beatitudes love justice righteousness sermon on the mount encourage you to read that matthew chapter 5 look in uh, the gospel of luke compare and then read the rest of the sermon on the mount here in chapter 5 of matthew and and uh and see what God is in in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, inviting us to consider. All right, when we come back, I'm going to share a special little blessing we use here at St. Luke's that I think is just timely uh, on November 4th, the day after the general election in the U.S. So uh, join us in just a minute. Alrighty, folks, there's this wonderful blessing we do at the end of the Holy Eucharist or holy, after Holy Communion, right? Almost the second to last thing we do in the worship service on Sundays or whenever we celebrate Holy Communion where the priest offers a blessing. And I think this is a perfect uh, blessing for us to hear today. This comes from St. Francis de Sales. Do not fear the changes of life. God, whose very own you are, will deliver you out of them. He has kept you thus far, and he will lead you safely through all things. And when you cannot stand it, God will bear you in his arms. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you forever. What St. Francis captures in that is the reality that we are gods. And no matter what happens in this world, God is with us. And that's the beauty of the incarnation. That's the beauty of Jesus walking among us, being born uh, to us. Is that God would never leave us. Uh, so I hope that in the days and weeks ahead, at least in the United States, we will remember no matter where we stand on, on either side of this election, which at, at the time of this recording, I don't think has been called yet. It's so close, which tells us there's a lot of differing opinions, uh, and that there's a lot of concern on either side. Either it's going to be joy on one side and sorrow on the other that no matter where we stand, that we are gods and that we're called to something bigger and better and greater, and that we must lean on each other and hold each other. And I hope that if you are somebody who's looking uh, for a a place that does this, that models this, I hope you'll consider St. Luke's on the Lake Episcopal Church. This is a special church, a special place where people hold each other, where we come from various backgrounds and differing opinions, and yet we see the bigger purpose in the work that God calls us to. So as I like to say, come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You have been here often and you have not been here long. You who have tried and you who have failed. Come because it is Christ who invites you. It is our Lord's will that those who want to find God shall meet God here. Have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next time on Views from the Pews.